We're in the last week of our series called Service Engine Soon, and what we've been talking about is the idea that in a lot of different things in life, our car, sometimes we have appliances, a little light will come on that says, service this, check engine, look out, we're all going to die, you know, kind of just uh, these lights, that these indicator lights, and uh, our bodies have these service engine soon things where our tooth begins to hurt or our back kind of starts to twinge or just little indications that there's something wrong. Okay, and maybe your check engine soon light or service engine soon light is a spouse going, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm seeing this pattern in your life, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you have too much anxiety, you don't normally have this much anxiety, you seem to be angry, you seem to be a little, uh, these are just indications like, hey, you need to take care of that. And what we've been talking about is that you can't ignore the service engine soon light. You cannot take black electrical tape and cover up the, the light like I, I've done. And, and uh, you, you can't, you know, disconnect the fuse and have it go off. If you don't address it, it's going to become a bigger problem. And so we have to get it diagnosed accurately. We have to take it to somebody who can fix it. And then we have to... Um, pay the cost to get it done. That's with our cars. But we have a service engine soon light in our souls. Some of you, if you're, if you're new to church or you're kind of, uh, you, might, you might have called this your conscience uh, all this time. Just something where you go, man, I got I to gotta change this. If I, you can kind of see if I keep up this pattern, I'm going to end up here. Some of us who've been going to church, we call this the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes we feel like God, God himself is going, hey, dude, you got to address this, okay? And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. And we've been talking about the fact that we got to get it diagnosed accurately and we got to take care of it pretty soon. Well, this morning, what I want to talk about as we end the series is how to stop this light from coming on in the first place, <laughs> right? Because in our cars... Um, you know, some of the times the reason the light comes on, we call them uh, idiot lights, is because it's a reminder you've been an idiot. And you might get like a little oil light that comes on. Uh, I, I've seen that one before, not in my car, but in some of the people I drive with. And, and, that, that, and, and that's a reminder, hey, there's this stuff called oil that the engine really needs, you might want to put some in there. And so, uh, and since I've started this series, I actually have been checking my oil much more, and I feel really awesome about that, and I, I feel so manly, and Lisa <clears throat> will put the oil in there once I see it. And, uh, but the thing is, so, so the, the thing is, to do that, to, to maintain our vehicles, to maintain our cars, it's not very... I don't know, sexy is probably not a bad, not a good word to use, but it's not, it's just kind of mundane. Like, you know, you take it in every 3,000 miles. You don't notice anything afterwards, which is kind of annoying. Like, when you get your oil changed, you don't drive out like, whoa, it's really responding well now that I got my oil changed or whatever. And the same thing happens with any type of maintenance. You just don't see the benefits right away. Think about working out. You know, you work out three times a week and, you know, but from the workout to workout, you just go, well, you know, I don't, I have no way of monitoring that. 
And the problem is because of that, because there's no big takeaway, big emotional thing, you know, you take your oil, to the, the, the car in to have the oil changed and the mechanic is like, you're an amazing person. Wow. You, every 3,000 miles, I'm so proud of you. Keep up the good work. No, they put a sticker on your thing going, hey, dummy, this is when you're coming back, okay? The same thing is true in all types of maintenance. And because there's no big reward at the end of the time, oftentimes other things will come in the way and take the place of it. So you know you change your oil every 3,000 miles, but at 3,000 miles, the wheels don't fall off, so you're going, I'll go to 4,000 miles, or no, my, you know, there's a, uh, you know, Star Trek marathon on, I'll wait, I'll wait a little bit, and soon, if you're not careful, that 3,000 becomes 5,000, becomes 7,000, and then a light comes on. The way to get rid of that is scheduled maintenance. In our lives, we have scheduled maintenance as well. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is the idea that little steps, little investments, little things over time reap big rewards. But they're just not that big of a deal when you're doing them. But little investments, little steps, little, little ways that we look at things, as we kind of move along, over time, reap really big rewards. We see this when we work out, right? You can't just work out once for the year. Like, that would be awesome. You just go Thursday, uh, you know, April 27th or whatever. I'm going to do my yearly workout. And you just, your arm, like your arms become this big and you're like, you know, and over time they start shrinking until your next yearly workout. It doesn't work, all right? Same thing goes with anything else. Relationships. You can't just talk to your wife one 24-hour marathon and never talk to her again for the year, okay? Little scheduled, little investments over time reap big rewards. So, what I want to do is I want to read a story about a guy uh, or talk about this, a guy in the Bible, and you guys are going to love this, named Jehonadab. Now, uh, you guys are all smart, you're all scholars, and you've probably all read your Bibles 28 times, okay? So when I say Jehonadab, you're like, totally, I know who Jehonadab is. Um, but I would probably guess that in a group this size, there are a couple that don't know who Jehonadab is, and so I'm going to explain who Jehonadab is. Go back to 2 Kings. What's happened is Ahab, this king, was an evil king, and he worshipped Baal, which was a god. And, uh, and um, so he would he, he'd, he'd worship Baal and him and his wife, and they die. And this guy Jehu, J-E-H-U, decides he's going to wipe Baal worship out, out all over Israel. So he, so he gets this plan to trick the people who worship Baal, which is kind of weird when you're looking at this man of God and he's like, I know, I'll lie. But here's what he does. He, he decides he's going to say, he, he puts out this declaration, Ahab uh, worshiped Baal little, but I'm going to worship Baal, you know, to the max, I guess in Hebrew. And, uh, and so well, I'm going to have this giant sacrifice and I want all the prophets of Baal and the priests of Baal and everyone to come to Baal's temple and we're going to have this huge sacrifice. Okay? And so, so that's what he does. And so he gets this, everybody into this big room like here. And just imagine, it's just like packed with people and I get up here and I'm like, well, you know, welcome to Baal worship. And you guys are like, woo! 
you know, you're all stoked about it and everything. Well, little did you know that I stationed 80 people around the church and they all come in and stab you, okay? And so that's what Jehu does. He tricks all these people. Go, hey, we're going to have this great thing. It's going to be awesome. And right before the service starts, he says, are there any worshipers of God in here? You know, Yahweh. Because we don't want you in here. Get out of here, you know. And it's like, no, we're all worshipers of Baal. Yay. Awesome. And then he gives the green light and uh, everybody gets stabbed and dies. Okay? That's Jehu. So you're going, how is this going to help me tomorrow when I go to work? You're trying to figure out. I stabbed my boss, okay, that's good. I'll see where he's going. You got me. Uh, On Jehu's way to this big ceremony where everybody gets stabbed, this guy, Jehonadab, shows up wanting to meet Jehu. And so Jehu's on his way to the thing, and here comes Jehonadab, and Jehu says, "Are are you part of what I'm doing here? Like, are you a follower of God? And Jehonadab says, yes. And he grabs his hand, and they ride on the chariot, and they go to the worship service, and he watches everybody die. Okay? Well, that's kind of weird. Jehonadab had a, uh, a father uh, named Rechab, okay? Now, we're going to go to Jeremiah now. Ready? Jeremiah 35, 2. God tells Jeremiah to invite this family to church, to the temple, to God's house. And he says this, go to the Rechabite family, which is just a great name for a, a, a family. Now, Rechabite, remember, Jehonadab's dad was Rechab. So this is his family, Jehonadab's family, the Rechabite family. All right? Okay, here we go. So go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So catch what's happening here. God is inviting this family to his house for wine. Okay? Take them to the side room, set them up. Okay? This is what's happening. So here's uh, Jeremiah talking. So I went to get Jazaniah, and there's a whole bunch of really wacky names in here. Son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brothers, and all his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites, everybody is coming. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the room of the sons of Hanan, son of Igdaliah, good night, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Messaniah, whatever, son of Shalem, the doorkeeper. Okay, now the reason, like, to you and I, and like, I can't even pronounce half those names, to you and I, those names don't mean anything. But to the reader who's reading what Jeremiah wrote, those names, that room, all of that stuff is really important. Here's what, basically what Jeremiah is saying. So I went to the Rechabites and I said, come on over to God's house. And I put them in this room and the readers would be like, whoa, they were in that room. Like that family got like honored by God. God calls that family to his house and says, I want you to hook them up. Okay? And so that's where we are. So I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the Rechabites and said to them, drink some wine. Jeremiah's doing exactly what God told him to do. He goes, he finds his family. He brings them into the house of the Lord. He sets wine before them and he goes, go ahead. Now imagine you're that family. How would you feel? How would... You know, you'd be honored. 
But then the wine comes out, and that is a problem, and here's why. They replied, we don't drink wine. Now, just so we're clear, God invited them to his house to drink wine. And they're like, no, we don't drink wine. Do you have any cheese? We like cheese. Like, like, what in the world is going on? Here's what they said. Because our forefather, Jehonadab, it's the same Jehonadab, the one that was in Jehu's thing that saw all the people die. That guy, okay? Our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Re- Jehonadab, <laughs> uh, uh, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. And they start talking about this command that Jehonadab gave them. And there's three parts to it. He said, don't drink any wine. Don't live in a house. You have to live in tents, okay? And don't plant any crops. This is what Jehonadab said to this family. And they did it. Like, where did that even come? Like, that's not even in the Bible. Like, there's nothing in the Bible that says, like, Deuteronomy doesn't say, and for the Rechabites, you know, like, there's uh, all these different priests or whatever, and the Rechabites do not drink wine. Some dad, it's like a homeschool dad gone crazy, just guy comes up with some rules, you know, of just, you know, whatever. I, I can say that because I, I was a homeschool dad, okay? So don't write me a letter, you know. Home, I know, I know, trust me. And believe me, I had my own rules, I'll tell you that right now. When you're the principal and you're having a relationship with the teacher... One of the benefits of homeschooling, I might say. <laughs> okay, anyway. So this crazy homeschool dad comes up with all this stuff, and they do it. Now, imagine you're at work, okay? And your boss invites you out to dinner. Really nice restaurant, okay? Morton's. And he, he's really excited, and he says, here, I want you. We're going to have the surf and turf. And you're like, nah, I don't, I don't eat steak or lobster. And he's, you know, like, He's thinking, you know, you're allergic to shellfish or whatever. And you're like, no, my dad said I can't. He'd be like, dude, you're 45 years old. <laughs> yeah, no, my dad said I couldn't have lobster. And so I, I'm, I, I, don't, I won't have it. Oh, and he also said, I can't leave the state. So that business trip you want me to go on, can't go on that. Because my dad said I couldn't. I have to stay here. And I can't drink Diet Coke. Those are just three things. I'm homeschooled. Just crazy dad. <laughs> now it just makes, makes this up. Okay, right? You'd get fired, okay? I mean, that's just weird. Because you just don't, you don't do that. You don't follow something your dad says for the rest of your life, and it's not even in the Bible. So, no wine, can't have a, a house, you live in tents, and, and, and you, you can't have crops. And so here's what they said. We've obeyed our forefather, Jehonadab, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we nor our wives nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine, built houses to live in, or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefather, Jehonadab, commanded us. Now, the Rechabite family that's there at this time talking to Jeremiah, God invites him to his own home and gives them wine to drink and they say no my dad won't let me Jehonadab made this commandment 250 years prior 
This is 250 years later, this family still doing what Jehonadab said just off the top of his head. Can you imagine? Now imagine you're at Morton's with your boss and there's a steak and lobster and you say, no, I can't. I can't go on that business trip. Why? Oh, because my great, 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 great grandpappy said I couldn't. Like, who does that? The Rechabites do. They do it, okay? 250 years later, they said, he said it, and we've been doing it ever since. Now watch. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go tell the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? Jehonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day, they have not drunk wine because they obey their forefathers' command. Now listen to this. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you've not obeyed me. God's going, this crazy homeschool dad comes up with a rule, and they follow it for 250 years, and I'm your heavenly father that created you, Israel, and you can't even follow what I'm saying. I have to keep reminding you over and over and over and over again. Jehonadab, he just says one thing, and everyone's like, okay. I say it as the creator of the universe, and you're just like, yeah, we'll think about it. Maybe. I don't know. Seems kind of weird. So he says, he keeps going. Again and again, I sent my servants, the prophets, to you. They said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. <laughs> I, that's just funny to me because we don't talk like that anymore. Um, I would like you to reform your actions. Do not follow other gods to serve them. That's it. That's it. All God's saying is, hey, I didn't tell you not to drink wine. I didn't tell you to live in tents. I didn't tell you to, to not plant crops. All I said was, don't serve other gods. How come Jehonadab gets more obedience than I do? This is, a, this is God's thing in that. And so then he goes on and he gets mad and he talks about all the things that are going to happen to Israel. None, none of them are good at all. <laughs> I, I, didn't do, I didn't put them up there. Um, but tr trust me, okay? Watch what he says. Therefore, uh, yeah, this, uh, they've carried out the command their forefather gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a descendant to serve me. So for, for, from then on, in this Rechab, I don't know if any of you are Rechabites, <laughs> from whatever, but you've, got, you've had somebody in, in that family that served God from that point on. God declared it. In that family, there's going to be someone serving me because these people obeyed their, their dad, and then their granddad, and their great-granddad. Now listen, here's the thing. Now we look at the other end of that, 250 years, and we just think, wow, didn't somebody kind of go, I have a question about the tent thing. Um, 
yeah, I'd, I'd really not like to do that anymore. Like, didn't somebody, like, how did that family do that all that time? Was there a, some great reward? I mean, the reward didn't come till now where God says, you're going to have a descendant that's always going to serve me in that house. But during the 250 years, they didn't, I don't know, they didn't hear anything from God. They didn't read anything in the Bible and go, oh, that's why we don't drink wine. Because there's nothing in there for that. Oh, that's why we live in tents or whatever. Here's the thing. Almost everyone I know who doesn't have their check engine light come on all the time, and there's not a lot of drama. There's not, and we, we talked about the fact that a lot of times there's nothing you're going to do. You're going to have some type of a crisis in your life. I mean, we're, we're not trying to just avoid. You can do everything you want and be the best person in the world and still have a crisis of some sort. We've, we've talked about that. But in order to have an engine, a soul that is running smoothly for the long haul, it takes very small scheduled maintenance stuff that is not very big. It's not like, oh, that's it. It's just small steps of obedience every single day. I was talking to somebody this week and I was saying, and I said, well, what are you preaching on? And I told them, and they were like, you're, you're amazing. But anyway, I was like, thanks, honey. Uh, and uh, no, but, but I was like, you know, it, I'm, I'm, usually I'm really, I'm super excited about some neat insight or whatever. And, and I'm like, I just don't have that one thing that's just like, you know, you know just kind of that one big thing. And then I thought to myself, of course not. It's scheduled maintenance. Who gets excited about scheduled maintenance? Who gets excited about their workout? Who gets excited about, you know, it's just one small thing day after day after day. Here's what scheduled maintenance looks like. Here's what small little obedient steps in the same direction for a long period of time looks like. These are little tiny investments that we make in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. They're not exciting. They're not flashy. But it looks something like this. You type a Facebook post. And you get all done, and you're proud of yourself, and you go, Lord, should I post this? And then you delete it. You're like, well, what? Come on, give me something big. Okay, okay, here, here's, here's one, here's one. Here we go, this is huge. You're about ready to say something. And you go, Lord, is this really the right thing to say? You're driving in your car. Okay, that is a big one. Okay, no, let's go back. All right. You wake up in the morning and you just open up your word and maybe spend three minutes, one minute in the word. Just open it up. You're in maybe a book or something and you just look and you say, God, would you just speak to me? I've got, I've got one minute. Now listen, here's what happens. This is what happens to me. You go, one minute? You lightweight. I could, I, if you're going to be in your Bible, isn't the Bible worth hours of my time in the morning, pastor? Yeah. Why don't we just start with a minute? Daily. Why don't we just start with the routine? See, what happens is, because we don't see the benefit right away, now getting into the word, you probably will. You'll probably hear from God and be like, wow, that was really cool. And you're, but because we don't see these massive things ha happening, we tend to let it get pushed out of our lives. 
And so, so here, here's what it looks like. You're watching television, and something comes on. You go, Lord, is, is this what you want me watching? Not, is it bad to watch a rated R movie? Is it, you know, I'm a, I want to set, Lord, is this really what you want me watching? right now? Is this really what you want me doing right now? Tiny, little, obedient steps in the same direction. Those people that I meet in my, in, around that are strong in the Lord, that's what they do. They just obey in the tiniest little things. Now, like I joked about before, that's not very sexy. That's not very like, like I mean, it would be great. I mean, the people that are trim, that are in great shape, they go to the gym three times a week, sit on the, tr- sit on the treadmill. And then I, <laughs> ah! <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> sit on the stationary bike or run. You run on a treadmill. Uh, right? Or they, or they go, they just, it, none of it's flashy, none of it's, but, but wouldn't it be nice? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just go and work out for three days straight and be done for the year? And you just can't. Everyone I know who has a good marriage, it's little, tiny steps in the same direction. The ones who buy the diamond ring the apology ring for a year gone radically wrong. <laughs> Those aren't. It's the one. It's the it's the wife who just goes. You know what? I'm not. I'm not going to say that. He doesn't need to hear that right now. It's the husband who says, "You know, I'm gonna. I'm just going to do that. I'm not even going to." It, it's the it's the it's the relationships where they're just talking about every, just little things. You know, what'd you talk about? I don't know. I was just with her. That's. Everything healthy is kind of boring, scheduled maintenance, little tiny investments over time. Most of the people I know who retire well, they didn't, it wasn't this like, come on, mama, I, I, want, I, put, I put everything on black, which doesn't have dice, I guess. But anyway, I put everything on black. And I, and I got, and I, oh, I won, and I, I found this one stock. And no, usually it's just every week, every month, routine, blah, 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 blah. Do you know, this is so refreshing, that's all God is asking for. He's not saying don't drink wine, live in tents, and uh, don't plant vineyard plant crops, or in our case, don't get a job, sleep at your mother-in-law's house for the rest of your life. You know, he's not saying that. He's just saying little steps. Just, just be with me. Accept the fact that I'm there. Have me weigh in on, on some things. Come to me. Come, come, come to me. Go, go into the Word. Open up. See what I wrote to you. Maybe change some little habits not to go crazy. Little obedient steps in the same direction. I want to read a verse that God wrote. It says this, he's shown you, O mortal, I I love that, (laughs) mere mortal, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, really? Like when it gets down to brass tacks, what is God asking for? All your money wants you to, you know, don't ever do this and don't ever do that. No. 
He wants you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. It's kind of boring scheduled maintenance. It's every 3,000 miles I do that. It's, oh, it's Monday at 6. I'm going to the gym. It's whatever, date night, it, every week. It's well, however, ev- all the other healthy things that you see is usually not some gigantic big thing. We would love it if our spiritual lives were just Sunday, like just we get here and the band is just like cranking and we're all crying and I get up and I preach a sermon and my armpits are sweating and I'm just like, you know, we're just like, oh, you know, we open our Bibles and it's this greatest thing and we crawl out to our cars going, oh, that was the best service ever. I'm ready for my week. I'm kind of glad God doesn't require that. I mean, just because I don't really like to sweat that much anyway. (laughs) It's just, hey, Lord, I'm about ready to go into this meeting and I cannot stand this guy. How would you have me talk? How would you have me? Lord, the relationship is not going too well. And I'm really struggling with my husband because he's so, you know, fill in the blank or blanks or whatever, whatever it is, you know. I thought, how, how would you have me respond? You know, I, I'm gonna, I got my paycheck. I got it. How, how would you have me spend my money? How would you have me live? How would you have me? God, I'm gonna start my morning or end my day looking into your word. What do you have to say to me? It's kind of mundane, isn't it? And yet, when the time comes, for something big, you will be ready. You will be strong. You will have the tools you need in order to get through it. Little investments, tiny investments over a long period of time reap great rewards. I want to read, a, read another section of scripture and then we'll, we'll have communion together. It's in Matthew. And Jesus just gets done with this killer sermon. We talk about one where your armpits are sweaty. Well, he's in a desert, so it's probably sweaty all over. But he, he gets done just giving this killer sermon. The Beatitudes are in there. You know, the blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, all, all, all that kind of stuff. The Beatitudes are in there. And then he's got a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm not going to talk about because in your small groups, you're going to be talking about that this week. But he goes through the whole thing and he ends it with just this, this like one kind of like capstone point that he was trying to make at the very end of this whole thing. Like one thing that just says, man, if I could, if I could just like nail it down to one, one thing, this is what he says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, not anyone who just feels God's presence at the greatest thing ever and you'll sacrifice everything for God and you will memorize your Bible. Just, you hear these words of mine, you put them into practice. Does God want me doing this? No, I'm not gonna do it. Does God want me doing this? Yes, I'm gonna do it. Small, tiny little investments over time reap great rewards. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We did a, uh, in the 
when we lived in Lakewood, we did an addition on our house. And um, they came out and they, I, we're so excited. You know, it's kind of like here with the church. We raised this money. We were wanting to get it done. It's like, oh man. And it's just, it's like, it's taking too long. I don't, I mean, don't you just want to like brink and done and yay, right? Well, that's how it was at the house. And we were all sleeping in one room in our living room because they were doing every, they were doing the whole house. All five of us were living on mattresses in our living room. It was awesome. It was like camping for <clears throat> months. So, um, so they pour the footings. And we're like, yeah, they're getting started. And we walk out and there they are. We walk out again and dunk, 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 still there. Hey, call up the contractor. Hey, thanks for getting started. Why don't you finish it? <laughs> Because the footings are the most important thing. They have to come out and inspect the footings to make sure you can't have bad footings, build this big house, and then come out to have the footings inspected because if they're not strong, guess what's going to happen? Exactly what Jesus is talking about. He says, if you listen to my words and you put them into practice, not big practice, not you do this great thing and start a ministry and you know, give all your money away. No, just hear the words of mine, read them, Listen to him and go, ah, oh, I think today when I drive to work, I'm going to try to have an attitude of peace. I want to try not to be anxious for this meeting coming up. That's all it is. That's a good, that's a firm foundation. That's scheduled maintenance. Your house would be like the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Boring, mundane rock. When? The rains come and the winds blow. You're so thankful for the foundation. So Jesus, because he's Jesus, brings the other point. Rains came down, things went, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Wise rock, foolish sand. Wise Small, systemic investments over time. Even when there's no crisis, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So many times when the check engine light comes on, there's been a whole bunch of damage done already that we don't even know about. And what I'm hoping as we end this series is that tomorrow as we get in our cars and we go into work or uh, we begin our week or we're about to make a deal or about to do whatever or we're about to step into that classroom and learn or teach or whatever, how we would think, okay, today, right now, in this moment, what would be one little step of following after my heavenly father? One little thing where he just says, hey, I just want you to walk humbly. That's all. Just act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. 